great to be back with you and uh, wonderful to be able to share God's word with, word with you this morning. Um, as Helen said, last week we were in Germany at a conference with some of our friends from Activate Network and Johnny and Alex came with us as well. And so we spent the week, the conference was from Wednesday till Saturday and we just spent the week um, uh, with people from all over Europe. There were people from uh, Russia, that was interesting, the Russians and Ukrainians in the same venue and talking to each other and working it out incredible uh, people from germany people from holland people from england people from bulgaria people from macedonia uh, there's a guy called philip from macedonia a young man who's doing work there and man i just thought when i looked at him when 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 paul said i had a vision of a man from macedonia saying come over to help us it was that guy he looked i mean he had this massive beard like this he just looked. He just looked like a biblical character. It was so cool, and um, so yeah, it was just a great privilege to be to be there and to uh, be encouraged and just to be able to share God's word. So, on the Sunday, last Sunday, we were in a, a small town outside of Berlin called Brandenburg, um, preaching there. And Johnny and Alex were at another town north of of Berlin called Eberswalde preaching there and uh, that was an amazing amazing experience uh, the the eastern part of germany is traditionally the most most atheistic part of the whole of germany because after the second world war it was under the soviets and as you know berlin was split east and west and so the eastern part of germany which berlin is in and brandenburg is the most atheistic part of uh, germany so we were in this town of about 80,000 people, and uh, we were speaking to the guys leading the church there. There were about 30 people in the church, and we asked them, how many Christians are in Brandenburg? And so the guy said, well, if you include Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, maybe 100 in the whole town, 70,000, 80,000 people. And so their little church of 30 was the only light shining in the whole of that community. And so we felt really challenged and really encouraged us to do all that we can to try and help uh, people that are preaching the gospel. And they've got a great, great little church with full of young people, which for me was really encouraging. A lot of um, students and people under 30 who have been transformed by God's goodness, and they're going to be taking that away with them. So I, I, was, I was really encouraged. So please, let's uh, want to invite you next year to um, come and join us, for if you can. Uh, in October, uh, we're going to go back again and be part of the Activate conference and uh, do what we can to help there. Uh, so you're all welcome. All right. So we'll we'll um, let you know next year what the dates are. But today I want to preach about uh, uh, that you should have got a clue out of the songs that I chose uh, in worship. I want to speak to you about the fact that we are sons and daughters of the Most High God, and um, such a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful theme and. Uh, one of the great books of liberty and freedom is Galatians. It's probably my favorite book in the Bible. Um, Martin Luther said it was his epistle. He said he was married to it. Uh, I, I agree with him. I think we should all be married to Galatians. Uh, John Bunyan, if you heard of John B Bunyan, who author of Pilgrim's Progress, he said that after the Bible, he preferred Luther's commentary on Galatians above every other book because it was the book that I have seen most fit for w healing a wounded conscience. Isn't that beautiful? How many of you have ever known a wounded conscience? Well, Galatians is good news for you because it can heal your wo wounded 
conscience. And so I'm going to read a portion, Galatians 4, verse uh, 1 to 7. It'll come up on the screen, and uh, I'm going to try and just use this image that Paul has here to help us understand what it means to be a son, what it means to be a daughter of the great king. So he says this, What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he's no different from a slave, even though he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, man, I love that sentence. When the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of the son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Amen. This is beautiful. This is the good news of the gospel. Now, if I was to ask you, I'm sure all of us would say we want to become more and more like Jesus. And surely that is the purpose of getting together as a believing community. And that's the purpose of all preaching and teaching is to help us to become more and more like Jesus. And so as a church, we're trying to root all of us in a theology of God's sovereign grace in our lives, that we are saved by grace. And that means we understand by revelation what it means to be made right by with God through faith in Jesus. And so all of this means there's a, there must be a centrality of the cross in our lives and, and understanding the completed work of Christ, which is a foundation for all of our lives. And so all of us, I trust, would um, watch our own lives closely unless we all backslide into legalism. Yeah? Uh, people have said this in different ways over many years. R.T. Kendall put it like this. The theology of justification, in other words, understanding that you're saved by grace, is the hardest thing to maintain in your Christian life. It's true, isn't it? Because there's so many things that press in on us, wooing our hearts in different directions and saying, if you just do this a little bit more, it's going to please God. And if you just do that a little bit more, it's going to please God more. And you just have to be a little bit more like this. And yet the truth is, the Bible says, you're saved by believing in Jesus and nothing else. Nothing else puts you right before God. Not your good behavior, not your morality, not your nothing except pleases God, except the fact that you put your faith in Jesus. Not your religious tradition, nothing. Man, we need to get that into our hearts. So we need to fight for that in our lives, keeping ourselves free and keeping other people free. This is the great cry of my heart and my preaching. I come back to this over and over and over again, that we are, who Christ has set free, is free indeed. And let's keep each other free, yeah? And then R.T. Kendall, one of my heroes, said this as well. Sanctification, in other words, becoming more and more like Jesus. Sanctification and giving yourself to that process in your life where the Holy Spirit is transforming you is a theology of gratitude. What is he trying to say? He's trying to say that as you realize that more and more, what the, the work of God's done in your life through Jesus, as you, as you respond to that great revelation in your heart by the power of the Spirit, you, out of gratitude, give your life to Jesus, and you say, Jesus, transform me. It's a theology of gratitude. 
It's not just about coming to church and perhaps paying some money occasionally and praying occasionally and doing all that stuff. No, no, it's a whole life that is a theology of gratitude, saying, God, I'm so grateful for what you've done through Jesus, your son, and because of that, I give you everything. All I have is yours. I love to lead worship, and I forgot how much I love to lead worship until I was leading worship this morning. Man, there's something inside of me sometimes that just, yeah, got to get it out. I've got to get it out. And it's, I promise you, if you're sitting there like this, man, it says more about you than it says about me. Got to get excited about something in your life, and if Jesus doesn't excite you, nothing ever is going to excite you, guys. <laughs> the book of Revelation is, a book of Galatians is the most profound book that says we are sons and ears. And I want to just exp take a moment to look at this image that Paul uses about being adopted into God's family, and he uses this, this image of sonship, and he says, as long as an heir is under age, he's no different from a slave. It's very interesting, isn't it? So we, we want to look at uh, ancient Ro Roman culture just to understand what he means here. And he says, even though he owns the whole estate, he is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also when we were under age, we were slaves under the spiritual, spiritual forces of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son. Now here's the deal. Guardians and trustees were actually vitally important in ancient culture. They took the oldest son generally, and they prepared the oldest son on behalf of the parents for his entry into society. And while he was being prepared, he wore, he wore a specific kind of robe to show everyone else in the community that this was the heir who, who was going to receive the full inheritance of his father. And the, the guardian was responsible for giving the pers that person an education, for helping, helping them to understand law, for helping them to understand all that they needed so that they would make a good entrance into society and be responsible as an heir of the father's estate. And we know, too, from, from history that sometimes when the son of the house died through sickness or war or whatever, sometimes a slave in the household who had the approval of the father, took on the role of this eldest son and became the eldest son. He f would receive the full inheritance just as an eldest son would. The role of guardians and trustees was incredibly responsible and important. And Paul is saying here that all of us, while we were dead to in our sin, we were like an older son waiting for our inheritance. And it, 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 it also says the, the, the law of the Lord was perfect and was preparing us for the anticipation of Christ. And so this is the image that Paul, Paul is, is, is using here, that all of us, dead in our sin, are like eldest sons in a, the ancient world waiting for the inheritance of our father, but powerless in ourselves to receive that inheritance for ourselves. 
And we needed a savior. We needed someone who, like a guardian, was going to place us into the full inheritance. And when the time had fully come, Jesus was sent as the son in order to liberate us into our full inheritance. That we are no longer slaves, but now as sons of God's household. Now, ladies, I want to say this to you. Paul is not being misogynistic. Can you understand what he's actually saying? He's saying to you, as a woman... You too have the full inheritance as an heir of God. It's got nothing to do with it whether you are a man or a woman. It's got everything to do with the fact that you are placed in Christ and you receive the full inheritance of the Father just as anyone else would. Does that not excite you? And for me, ladies, it works the other way as well. Because I, the Bible says me as a man, I am being prepared to be part of the bride. And I'm going to be clothed in white. And I don't quite get that, but that's, that's how it's going to work. So it works both ways. You are fully an heir, just as any man is fully an heir. And I am fully part of the bride, just as you are fully part of the bride. This is the good news of what we preach. And so um, I want to talk a little bit about why people struggle with this. This is an amazing, radical scripture. It's an amazing truth. We are adopted, all of us, men and women, adopted as heirs and sons, fully sons, uh, into God's kingdom. And we have the full inheritance that he offers every single one that believes by faith. Now, why do we struggle to believe that? Because most of us have issues of rejection in our lives. Most of us struggle to see God as a good father. And there are various reasons for that. But there's a cure that I hope you will understand this morning, that I hope will bring great joy to your life. There's great freedom. Whom the Son has set free is free indeed. So here, why, why, how do I want to define rejection? Well, I'm talking about something in your emotional life, something in your heart and attitude that is so prevalent, it, it inhibits how you relate to other people. You can't relate fully to others because of something that's on the inside of you. You know, often our, our bad behavior on the outside is because we are raging on the inside. Isn't that true? Often when you're frustrated on the inside, it ha you take it out on other people, even if it's un unintentional. And so sometimes there's this, the obvious thing to say is, is that uh, rejection is the opposite of acceptance. Um, there's a number of synonyms I could choose. So, for example, um, the feeling of being un feeling unwanted, the feeling of feeling excluded, the feeling of worthlessness of not being part of but never really belonging somehow you feel always on the outside not quite in that's what rejection is that's what rejection feels like um, it's the deepest deepest wound that's most common in people's lives and every human heart has experienced it in some way and I, I i'm sure that there are uncounted millions in our nation that have this problem of rejection and i hope by the end of this morning, you're going to feel the love of God just overwhelm you. And if you do feel any rejection, then it's going to be dealt with once and forever. That's what he wants to do. Isaiah 54 verse 4 uses this powerful, powerful image that many of us can relate to. And he uses the example of God speaking to his people Israel. And he uses the image of a husband and a wife. And the wife has been rejected by her husband. And this is what he says. Listen to the language. Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Do not be confounded, for you will not be disgraced. 
You will forget the shame of your youth and the reproach of your widowhood. You will remember no more. For your maker is your husband. The Lord God of, of hosts is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth has called you. For the Lord, he has called you like a wife, deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of, who's been cast off. The Lord calls you. Man, what a powerful, powerful image. What is God saying? He's saying, well, this is what I want to do for you. It's like you've got married young, and you are the wife, and you've given yourself completely to this man. You've lived with him. You've made love to him. You've been completely honest and open. You've provided for him. You've, you've given yourself to this man, and he rejects you. He leaves you. And what do you feel? You feel shame. You feel humiliated. You feel, I, I, I can't live anymore. I've, I've given myself to this person, and they've done this to me. Anyone felt like that? Anyone know that? And Jesus, God says, I'm calling you back like a husband, a faithful husband. And you will no longer feel those things. Rejection, humiliation. I am your God. I am your Father. Look to me. Man, it's powerful. And so we experience those things externally in our bodies, but there's also the sense of internal stuff that happens, and, and the Bible uses this kind of language. It says, when you have known that in your life, you have suffered a, grief, a grieved spirit, a crushed spirit, a wounded spirit, a broken spirit. That's what it does on the inside. And this is what uh, Proverbs 18, 14 says, a man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit, who can bear that? All of us can identify with that. Man, you get over physical illness, but it takes such a long time to get over an internal wound where you just know you're being damaged inside. That's a different thing. What about Proverbs 15, 13? A glad heart makes a cheerful face, but sorrow of heart means that the spirit is crushed. All of us can identify that with that. So this is deeper than our mind, our memory. People carry wounds in their spirit that they're not even conscious of. And sometimes our memory tries to blot it out. But deep down in the innermost part of us, called our spirit, we still feel that sense of alienation and rejection. And it's never going to be good enough. And so I've used this uh, Isaiah's example of marriage, but there's also other ways that we experience rejection in our lives. Perhaps we feel rejected from our parents. That we never quite knew the love of our father or mother in the way that we hoped. That we've desire, all of us feel desire to be loved. It's part of what makes us human beings. And every child born longs for the love of a father and a mother. And sometimes when we don't have that, it gives inside of us this insecurity that is just there all the time. And we never quite know if we are accepted or good enough. What about, I've met people that uh, have felt rejection because their parents didn't really want to have another child. And they were the kind of fourth child that just happened. And they've grown up with a sense of, it's never been verbalized or spoken. But there's just this kind of sense in their lives that, hmm. I wasn't really planned, and they, as a result, they feel rejected. Um, 
sometimes it's pure and simply that people didn't have enough money to have another child and that's also led to feel people to feel rejected because they've grown up with that sense of we just didn't plan this so what are the results of reje- of rejection i want to just put it very simply and say the primary thing that i see is that there's an inability to receive and communicate love to other people and that's what the Bible says. John, 1 John 4 says this amazing thing in verse 19. We love, we are able to love because, why? Because He's first loved us. You see, lo- love's like that. You, you have to have received it and understand it and know it to give it away to other people. And so that's really what I'm trying to say is when we we experienced rejection in our lives, it's very hard for us to love others in a, in a way because difficult for us to give out give that away because we haven't received this and um, we can see this sometimes from generation to generation maybe i'll use the example of a girl born into a family where she doesn't experience love and she has this sense of rejection and cannot communicate uh, love as a result and then she marries she has a daughter herself and the cycle is repeated she can't really express love to her daughter and so the daughter feels rejected because she hasn't experienced that love herself. And so we need to be aware of these things. And thirdly, how, how, how do different people re- react to rejection? Okay, I'm digging the hole now, and then hopefully I'll, ki- get, I'll, I'll show you the good news at the, at the end of the hole, all right? How, how do people experience rejection? Well, f- I want to give you three ways. Not the only three ways, but first there's the person who just gives in to rejection. Says, uh, there's nothing I can do. It's too much for me. I'll just take it. And they never really verbalize it in, 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 in any way but there's just this negative attitude and emotion when you're around them and uh, they f- always f- communicate loneliness or a sense of despair or depression and ultimately the terrible result of that ultimately is suicide or, 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 or um, hopelessness and often when we see these things at work it's a, it's a clue for us that the person really desperately needs help and that we can be led by the Spirit to help them to recognize that in their lives. Secondly, there's a person who holds out. So this first, the person just kind of gives in completely. Secondly, there's a person who holds out. Um, and normally these kind of people build up a defense mechanism in their, in their life. And there's an outward facade that kind of is uh, getting this, um, what's the word? Um, Disguising, disguising the inner turmoil that is I- in the person's life. And sometimes they can, st- I've met people like this, when you, you kind of greet them, they're kind of a little bit indifferent, or they make you feel like you've done something wrong. Have you ever met people like that? They're a little bit aloof, and you're in the room, and you leave the room feeling like, I did something wrong. But I, I mean, I don't know what I did, but they're communicating to me that, that I did something wrong. And it's often, the heart is, I'm not going to let anyone close enough to hurt me again, so I'm just going to keep you at arm's length. That's the kind of defense mechanism. Have, have you met people like that? No one's going to get close to me to hurt me again because I've been hurt already. And so the third, there's the, the fighter. <laughs> then there's the third, per- the, the fighter. He fights or she fights. And this normally is kind of starts with anger and resentment and then a little bit of ultimately rebellion just gonna do my own thing i'm not gonna let any of you near me or hurt me in any way i'm just gonna do my own thing ever met people like that i've I've met many people like that in in my life and uh, it doesn't necessarily mean these people haven't um 
had material things growing up or a family that's had wealth, but sometimes it's just to do with the sense of feeling alienated and like not quite loved or accepted and there's this defense of fighting back and pushing people away. So that's the problem. Any of you identify with any of these things I've been saying? Yeah, we all, we all have known rejection in our lives in some way. Here's, here's the good news of becoming a son. Here's the good news of becoming a daughter. Here's the good news of becoming an heir. This is what Isaiah 61 verse 1 says. An amazing promise. We've pro sung about the promises of God. And this is the promise that is fulfilled in the coming of Messiah. And what does it say? It says, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to... Bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty for the captive and the opening of prisons to those who are bound. Jesus came, Messiah came to bind up the brokenhearted. If you have a broken heart, Messiah came, Jesus came to bind up your broken heart, to give you hope to suffer rejection for you so that you no longer are rejected, but you are adopted as a son and daughter, fully an heir in the kingdom into his family. That is outstanding good news. Absolutely. And this ultimately points us in verse 4, at point, uh, Isaiah 53, points us again to what Jesus has come to do for us, or the work on the cross. And it says this, Surely He has borne our grief. Surely He has carried our sorrow, but we esteemed Him not. He was smitten by God and afflicted, but He was wounded for our transgression. I'm loud. If I am, forgive me. <laughs> he was crushed for our iniquity. Upon Him was the punishment that brought us peace. With his stripes we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity, the sin of us all. Pointing to the cross. To pointing what Jesus has done. So ultimately on the cross this amazing exchange takes place. Jesus was punished for our sins that we might receive forgiveness. Jesus was wounded for our sickness that we might receive healing. Jesus was made sin that we might be made righteous. He was made a curse that we might receive the blessing of God. He died our death that we might share His life. And all of that is good news, isn't it? But it gets better than that because I want to say to you, He also bore your rejection. He also bore your shame. He also bore that feeling that you're always on the outside and you're never quite good enough to be on the inside. He bore that for you so that you no longer have to feel that anymore. That is good news. He was rejected by man and ultimately he was rejected by his father at that moment that he took upon himself all of our sin, all of our rejection, all of our pain. And it says that the father couldn't, could not look on the son. At that moment, Jesus experienced the rejection that you feel. He felt it right then. He knows what it is to be rejected because his own father turned his face away from him in that moment because he could not look on sin. Isaiah 53, verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised. 
And that's why Jesus in Matthew 27, when he realizes that in that moment it's happening, he turns and he, what does he say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knew. In that moment, he knew your pain. He knew your rejection in that moment. And what does it say? This beautiful thing. In the moment that it happened, it says in the gospel that immediately he died, the curtain was torn in two in the temple from top to bottom. Boom. Gone. What does that symbolize? That you now have access to your father. Instantly, Jesus died. You, the way was made open that you can know him as a father, as a son, as an heir. That's why we get excited about the Christian life, because it's such good news. In the moment, the curtain was drawn, was torn into in the temple, and the way was made open for you and for me that we might know him. Instantly, the barrier between us and God was removed, and we can come to God without fear, without shame, without rejection, without guilt. And Jesus experienced all of that that we might experience the acceptance of the Father. Man, that is such good news. This is why Paul writes in Ephesians 1, and he says this in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, why did He choose us before the foundation of the world? That we should be holy and blameless in love. He predestined us to be adopted. Before time, before you were even a twinkle in your father's eye, before you even thought of in eternity, God had already predestined you that He would touch you and He would touch your life that you might be adopted as His son into His kingdom. That's how predestination works. That's what it means. To the praise of His glorious grace. That's what Paul says. So it can all be about God's grace in your life. It's got nothing to do with your goodness. It's got nothing to do with your spirituality. It's got all to do with His grace and His kindness and His forgiveness, which He has blessed us with in the Beloved. That was your purpose to be made a son and a daughter, to be adopted even before the creation of the world. And so how can we start to move towards the sense of being completely aware that we are sons and daughters? Well, I want to give you four little things that are ne not necessarily in this order, but we have to kind of be working on all of these things in our life. The first is to forgive. You know, we are, uh, uh, this theme of this conference was courage, was to be courageous that we were preaching on in, the, in Germany. And my good friend Dirk um, asked a very good question. He said, um, when you're trying to encourage people to be courageous, it's not really any good to tell them to be courageous. <laughs> is it? Now, what you need is to be courageous. I know I need courage. Yeah, well, you need to be courageous. That doesn't really help then, does it? How do you find courage? We only find courage when we see who God is, when we look to Him, and we look to, to what He's done, and then we begin to find courage when we see who God is and we see who we are, and we see His glory, and we see His kindness, and we see His goodness, and we see His love, 
and then everything changes, and then we start to find courage for our lives. Amen? And so part of that, also, I'm saying to you, how do you know, your, how do you experience in reality in your life that you're a son or your daughter? Well, the first thing you have to give yourself to is forgiveness. Jesus said this in Mark 11, whenever, verse 25, whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone so that your Father also is in heaven, might forgive you your sins. So there's this thing we actively have to give us ourselves to forgive. Even our parents, those who have hurt us, anyone who's hurt us, we have to consciously choose to let them off the hook because we release the power of God in our lives when we let them off the hook. I had a, an incredibly challenging moment. I was asked to do a seminar on at this conference on uh, how to get on with people that disagree with you politically in the church. So I did my best, and at the back there was a, a, a number of people from Kiev that had fled the war. And the one guy looked me in the eye and he said, it's easy for you to say I must forgive my enemies, but you don't have any enemies. It's true, isn't it? When you've got rockets going over your head and your home has been destroyed, and someone comes and says, you must forgive them. Well, the only answer I could think of was I said, well, you know, I'm not saying that. Jesus said that. And Jesus said we to do more than just forgive. We are also to bless those that curse us, that hurt us, that want to do us damage. Now, I understand the politics of what's going on right now. But what I'm trying to say to you is, why did Jesus say that? He said it for you. Because if you live with unforgiveness and a war raging in your heart, you are never, ever free. You are a slave to unforgiveness. You are a slave to that anger. Every moment of the day, it's there. And Jesus says, you want to be free of that anger towards other people, towards your parents, those that have harmed you, those that have done you damage. If you want to be free of that, learn to forgive. We've got to give ourselves to forgiveness. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 6, he says, uh, thinking of this thing in terms of family, perhaps our families have hurt us or our parents have hurt us. What does Paul say in Ephesians 6 to honor your father and mother? This is the first commandment with a promise that it might go well with you and that might you, you might live a long life in the land. That doesn't mean that we do not see our parents' faults. You know, I, the longer I've been a parent, the more I've known my boys point out my faults, which is fine because I've got to learn. I've got to grow as a dad. But it, it doesn't mean that we don't see the faults in our parents, but it does mean that we forgive and we determine as far as we can to honor people that God has given us in our lives as our parents. That's, that's the difference. Honor your parents. That it might go well with you. Secondly, as we give ourselves to forgiveness, we have to learn to lay down things that rejection has brought to our door. And what I mean by that? Well, rejection brings with it bitterness, hatred, resentment, all those things. And those are poison. And if you nourish those things, it'll poison your whole life. And re uh, resentment and bitterness are some things, luxuries that none of us can afford. So by the act of the will, we have to lay those things down, forgive, push them away from our door, bring them to the cross, and let them die at the cross. And I can't do that for you. 
Only you can do that for you in your life. Thirdly, believe what God has said about you. Okay? Believe what God has said about you. That's an act of faith. Accept that you are fully accepted in Christ. That's what I'm trying to say to you. Accept that you are a son. Accept that you are a daughter. Accept that you are full heir of the kingdom. That's what we read in Ephesians, Ephesians 1.4. From the, before eternity was, God had in his heart to make you his child. Accept that he sees you as his son, as his daughter. Believe that he wants you as his child. Believe that he will never turn you away. Believe his word in Isaiah that says, even though you might feel like a wife that has been spurned by her husband, I will never treat you like that, says God. I will always love you. I will always accept you. You will always be, have a home in my heart. Accept it by faith. Believe what God says about you. And he'll always welcome you with open arms. He's a good father. His ways are perfect in your life. Always. Reckon that true. That's what it means to believe by faith, to reckon it as true and accept yourself. Oh, man, that's hard, isn't it? And we can look back at our lives, the record of failures in our lives, false starts, how we failed other people. We can look upon perhaps a broken marriage, children who don't want to have anything to do with us. We can label ourselves a failure. But God says, you're my son. God says, you're my daughter. Accept yourself, because Jesus has accepted you just as you are. And when you come to him, you are a new creation. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. All old things have passed away. I love this. I, didn't, I just didn't realize this but when I was looking this week. Ephesians 2.10 says this, we are... We who are in Christ are God's workmanship. And the word there for workmanship is a Greek word, poema. It should um, ring a bell, poema. It's for the word from which we get poem, we get poet. Isn't that beautiful? We, are in God who, we who are in Christ are God's poema. We are God's poem. We are God's workmanship. We are God's handiwork. That is such a beautiful thought. We are his workmanship. It's like he's created this beautiful work of art, and you are it. So when he says you are accepted and you are loved, accept it. Because you are ultimately recognizing that you are the artistic masterpiece of the great king. Accept yourself. Don't criticize yourself, because then you're criticizing what God has made and declared to be perfect. I wish I had more hair. I don't. But God made me like this. He made me perfect. You might wish to be more beautiful, taller, more intelligent, more gifted. You are beautiful just as you are. God has made you perfect. You are his masterpiece. And lastly, find acceptance in God's people. Yes? Find acceptance in God's people. What is the tagline of our church? Rooted in Christ, planted in family, fruitful in life. That's why you become part of a church community. As Christians, we are never asked to be isolated individuals. 
All right? Liverpool understands that. Come on. You'll never walk alone. You'll always have someone by your side supporting Liverpool. Come on, there's a Liverpool. No, Man United supporter. Yeah, yeah. It's the same in the church, isn't it? We're never isolated individuals. We're not called to do it by ourselves. We are called to be in relationship with God and love each other and be in relationship with each other. The church is family. And I'm not saying it. Paul said it. Jesus said it. All over the New Testament it says, so Romans 12 verse 4. For as one body we have many members, and members do not all have the same function. So though we, though many, are one body, and individually we are members of each other. Isn't that an incredible thought? I'm part of you and you're part of me when we are in the church of Christ. And we all need each other. And when you are not here, we are all a little bit poorer for the fact that you are not here. Because together we have the mind of Christ. It's never just about you as an individual. It's always about us as God's family. Always. And that's why, that's why our Western culture doesn't like it. It's my life, it's my money, it's my this, it's my this, it's my this. I'm the most, I'm the center of my life. I'm the great individual. Don't tell me what to do. And Jesus says, no, 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 you're part of one big family and you all need each other. And come and be part of the family of God. Every tribe, every people, every group from all over the nations, we are one. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Come on. Every tribe, every people, every person, you are part of the family. 1 Corinthians 12. I'm finishing. <laughs> some, some of you are relieved that I'm finishing now. <laughs> For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, I'm not a hand, I don't belong. That would not make it any less part of the body. What is Paul saying? He's saying, you know, if you remove yourself from the body, it doesn't make you less part of the body. You're still part of the body. The only person who hasn't realized it is you. The body still functions. The body still carries on doing its deal. Still being good news. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong, that would not make it any less part of the body. We are all needed, important. Sometimes you might feel like an eye, a toe. doesn't matter. You might be a hand. You might be an ear. Find your place. The body can't function well without you. Yes? Find your acceptance in God and then find your acceptance in God's people. Too many people have allowed the lockdown to help them backslide. I'll just watch on TV. It's not the body. We are not called to listen to worship as consumers and listen to preachers as oh, I'll choose the best preach. You are called to be part of a body. You are called to work it out with other people that know you, that love you, that challenge you, that say that's not good enough, my friend. Come on. We're going to do this together. Oh, no, 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 don't tell me. I'll just sit at home with my cup of coffee, and if I feel like it, maybe I'll get out of bed. <laughs> Come on, guys. Let's live for something a little bit higher than that. That is such a low common denominator, such a low bar. 
you can just step over that like that. It doesn't require any effort whatsoever. No, God's called us to incredibly much more than that. To love each other. To love each other. Even if you are offended with what I said to you this morning and you're saying, shut up right now. I want to say, God says, love me. Just as I love you. With all my faults, with all my stuff, love me. That's what you're called to do. That's what I'm called to do for you. To love you. Come on, man. The greatest prayer that Jesus ever said, ever taught any of us starts with our Father in heaven. Not my Father in heaven. Not my individual Father in heaven who only is my Father and nobody else's Father. That's our Western culture. No. Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Every person on the planet that lives by faith has the same Father. Come on. Let's inspire each other upwards, not downwards. Ephesians 2.19, then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with all of the saints and members of the family of God. It's plain. Scripture is so plain. And I'll finish with this, this beautiful promise that God gave us since when we planted this church, Psalm 68 verse 6, His promise to us. I am the father of the fatherless. I am the protector of widows. God puts the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoner to prosperity. My friends, you feel lonely, you feel rejected, you feel isolated. I want to encourage you this morning. Find your acceptance in God. Believe what he says about you. You are a son. You are a daughter. You are an heir. Don't let anyone tell you anything else. Even if you feel that push off those things of rejection. Learn to forgive. Learn to embrace forgiveness as a lifestyle in your, in, in your life. Push away anger and bitterness. R root yourself in a local church like this one that you can be loved and known and accepted. Work it out. That's God's way. That's what He has for us. You are a son. You are an heir. Just like me. Just like every other person that's ever believed by faith. And let's put our trust in our great Father in heaven. Let's inspire each other upwards to love God more fully and to love each other more completely. That's what he has for us. Amen. God bless you. God keep you. God make his face to shine upon you and give you peace.